don't know if he's in here. He's here, where's Andrew? At the back with his son, being an incredible dad. There you are. Um, thank you for this promo material. You're amazing. <laughs> Jordan, you're his son. <laughs> That's what he just said in your ear, didn't you? <laughs> so, Andrew, you're amazing. They've really loved the flyers, everything that have gone to the East Coast. They're very proud of you. So thank you so much for your red licorice business, as it's called. Okay, well, I'm going to start our message for today. I felt to sit, but now I don't. So we'll just see how we go. Um, um, every now and again, uh, we, we talk about our culture as a family. So I want to go there today. It, there'll be a lot of real and raw and amazing topics we're going to gently flow through. Almost like, do any of you have nerves if you've got to have a family meeting in your, in your blood family? Okay, we need a family meeting. And the nerves start going up. The nerves don't need to go up today, but it is a bit of a family meeting. It is, though, being produced live because we feel that these... Um, ingredients of what makes a healthy family have been put together across the years now in this church corporately. They're not mine. They're, they're things that are formed corporately in this church, and we feel they're very biblical, and we feel they're foundational, important things for any church family. So this is called Becoming Family. And my goal, our goal, is that that is what this church becomes. It, it feels like it already is, but to even strengthen that more and more. So I want to unpack even what family means. I think for most of us in this room, we've got a slightly different picture of it from the person next to us. And why, why might that be so? Because the way we do family is different from each other when it comes to our blood family, yes? Yeah, so um, there might be traditions you have that I don't have. There might be things that are allowed in your family that's not allowed in the next. There might be um, discipline could look different across families. Um, affection can look different. Touch. Um, occasions, how much you see each other can really vary. We have blood families. It's Christmas Day and that's it. Thank you very much. It's not safe to see you more than that. That's some families, that's where they're at. There's some people who've lost contact with their family or lost their families. Yeah, it's huge. There's some people who live in each other's pockets and see family all the time. There's some family that are highly connected, but they're international from each other. So I, w I wanted to just go low and slow and unpack this word without maybe any preconceived um, perceptions of how family could be. So does that make sense? And I also I wanted to honor the fact that different church families can look different. And this room is made up of people who weren't here eight years ago. We've only been going just over eight years. And if you've been a Christian and in churches longer than that, then it's quite possible you've seen different examples of church family. This isn't your first example. Yeah, unless you've come to the Lord in this church, this isn't even your only example. So I also want to just say, can we just hold only loosely what we've seen in the past of how family and church should function? And would you trust me to give you maybe a different picture? And would you, you know, I invite you to, to come and function like this? So things are working well here, we feel in general, we feel quite connected to each other. And that's because it hasn't happened by chance. There's no bang of an atom, and we all are just loving each other. There's actually particular things that have gone in across the years intentionally. I'm going to keep using this word intentional. So we need to intentionally create family. It doesn't happen by itself unless we put something in. Each day sometimes, put it in, put it in, put it in. Think of a house that is left vacant for a year. If you come back to it and nothing was done intentionally to it, it will now have possibly dust, insects, mildew, spider webs, um, weeds, 
yes? So things just, if left, it doesn't really go well. So here, we don't leave things. What we try and do is intentionally, each day, just do a little bit of grooming that thing and making it work and, and cleaning it as we go. So if we keep putting in this this day-by-day day thing that we feel makes family work well, we should have great, great outcomes, but it does take a bit of effort and it comes with cost. Is that all right? So I'm going to chat about how we do family here. If you're new to us, this might be the first time. I think I spoke on it about a year ago. So it might be the first time we've gone through what are the ingredients in the background here. If you've joined us since then, yep, here we go. Okay, so... Um, the Bible itself is full of lots of familial language, so family words that show that we are to be a family. Okay, so it's not that we think that's a great word for a community. It, it biblically says we are brothers and sisters. We are to mother and father each other. We, you know, we're orphans and we're sons and we're daughters. There's lots of words, you know, there's lots of words that suggest and show that we need to be one, and oneness is important, and that we are connected, like in a biological words. Make sense? So even Ephesians 2.19 says we are members of the household of God. Household, that's, that's mum, dad, kids, everyone under the same roof. We are a household, that is what we are. Matthew 12.50, whoever does the will of my father in heaven, this is Jesus speaking, is my brother, my sister, my mother. Okay, so he calls us also those family words. 1 John 3, 1 to 24, we are called the children of God. That makes us siblings. It really does. It's familial language. 1 Timothy 5, 1 to 2, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. So it's telling us how to, to interact with people in the church. Treat older men as your own, you, your father. Um, younger men, treat them as your brother. Older women as your mother. That's an instruction to the church. Younger women as your sisters in all purity. Psalm 133, 1 to 3 says, How good and pleasant it is when brothers, us, dwell in unity. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing. Life forevermore. So life comes. It's the fruit of community, of oneness, of being this is it. These are my brothers and sisters and mums and dads, not in a cult kind of way. Can we just, <laughs> just put that in a bracket the whole way through? I'm not saying that your biological family are now, because they're not Christian and rah, 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 and this is cult and we're going to do blood covenants. I'm not talking about that. What I'm saying, though, is the Lord commands a blessing where there's unity, unity, which is a choice to be tucked in. It's a choice to be in this family. Um, but it. Yep, and in Romans 8.15, we are all adopted as sons. Okay, so lots of family words. So that's one thing I just wanted to start with. So if that's our, our beginning, that we are family, then what does it look like to live like that? Because just being called family doesn't mean we function well as a family. Some of you have a biological family, you're called family, but it doesn't mean it's functioning exceptionally well. So how can a family function well? So number one, the first thing I'd like to focus on is our connection, connection, knowing each other, seeing each other. So physical connection, emotional connection, friendship, which is going to come with this word intentionality. How many of you are noticing that in this day and age, more and more, busyness has crept in, which means we could be seeing a lot of people, there's work colleagues, things like that, but busyness is crowding out family time sometimes. Mm? 
And unless we intentionally focus on connecting with each other, how many of us feel that, as long as, because Life Hub night is on once a fortnight and Sundays are on once a week, at least that's when I see people here. But outside of that, I've got a lot on. That kind of feels a lot like we're all living in the same house in my family, but even though I come and go from school or I come and go from work or there's dinner, I'll say hello to everyone at family dinner on Monday nights and then go back to my room for the rest of the week. That's if, I'm, if I'm aligning it next to family, I'm wondering if we've got it wrong, if we think that this time here on a Sunday morning is our family time. I'm wondering if that's not even biblical. You know, when we've started to use the words like we're going to come to church, but in the Bible you don't see that. In the Bible, the, 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 the people collectively when they got together were the church and they met somewhere. So we are the church. We don't go to church. And I'm wondering if this idea of we go to church is we go to see family and then we go back to our lives, which naturally are functioning quicker and effectively and I've got my own needs met when I'm a bit disconnected, which is awesome if it is working for you, but there's people here who need you. <laughs> like you're, you're needed, you're missed. I'm wondering if we can start to not call Life Hub the, the event once a fortnight, because it's not what it is. We've been speaking as Life Hub leaders about this. A Life Hub is a people group. It's your, it's your group. Life Hub night or Life Hub meeting is that time once a fortnight. Does that make sense? Otherwise, if I'm going to Life Hub and I'm going to church, we've got those two family meetings locked in, and then we're in this rush of life. And I have been in really good conversations with a, a friend, a beautiful friend I'm making on the other side of this beautiful country, who, and she's very um, influential position in her church that she's um, a part of. But they're starting to change the structure even completely because people are so busy. So why don't we even meet at this time instead and this time? And they're starting to change the structure to work for people who are act like, it's a dysfunctional way. It's dysfunctional, I think, if we start trying to work around and cater for the busyness. I think the busyness is the problem and the individuality is the problem. I think there's a corporate stronghold in first world countries. Like we've learned corporately in being individual, individual, self-sufficient and um, busy and worry and stress and time. And I wonder if we even had to think about last year, if we were in a life hub, what did our week look like when it came to doing life together? Or are we, have we come into agreement with a corporate stronghold that I think is regional, which is what I think is in that city this, this lady's telling me about. I said, if she said, it's every church, so we just need to change the structure. I went, if it's in every church, there's a corporate stronghold in play, and you need to go after the stronghold and get that to what's biblically church instead of flipping the church to cater for, for dysfunction. Does that make sense? So I wonder if we, we're going to have to, the only way we're going to be able to do this and get it right is to be intentional, to, which is, takes effort. It's going to be picking up the phone and calling each other, texting, Facebooking. It's going to involve, I'm going grocery shopping, Life Hub. Does anyone want to join me? I'm going later this afternoon. I'm going for a walk Friday morning. Does anyone want to join me? I'm not saying time on your own isn't okay. <laughs> I refresh that way sometimes too. But I'm wondering if we've got to start thinking different. Otherwise, Sunday mornings and Life Hub nights, if that, are going to be the only times we have fellowship. That scares me. That's not family. 
it's not family. And I, I'm, I'm worried about what kind of fruit that will produce, especially when we've got 200 people as part of this church, 300 people. You know, we've got a core that's enough to sort of, you know, I know I haven't connected with some people that have come in sort of this last year very well. But as far as just the core, it's like there's enough of us that we're, we're making it. We're staying connected. But when it's bigger and bigger, if we don't have these foundations in, the cracks are going to be big. It'll be that people, again, they come to this big church service and they, they don't feel known, seen. We didn't know if that person was there or not. And that ought not to be so. If we can be part of Life Hub families or part of these intentional that we always have this group, there's a group that belongs to us that are our family, then it'll be noticed if we're not there on a Sunday or or Sunday's a time where we say hi again because we had a great chat during the week and we know where each other are at. Wouldn't it be great if on a Sunday we're saying hi to people and we already know where we're, they're at rather than having to use Sunday to go, so how are you? And and then we, it's just hard to have a functional conversation because there's so much going on and then that's it for another week. If we don't catch this now, we're going to miss the, the concepts that have been so beautiful when we've been a smaller church. We need to really fight for what's working once we grow. Is that all right? Okay. So if our goal could start strengthening and moving towards connection, which involves intentionality, if we can catch that corporate stronghold, if we can catch how my independence, then the, the Bible is full of an instruction, not even an encouragement, like a, an instruction to make disciples. What does that look like? It says, go into the world. So we're here. Make disciples. Heal the sick, the lame, cast out demons. It's a mandate. And what does making a disciple mean? Making is different from meeting. It's different from greeting. What is making? What is making? Making involves time, process. It's a mentoring it's a mentoring. Can we say that there are people in this church or some in our job or in our environment that we are mentoring right now in their faith? If you gave your life to the Lord yesterday or, or backwards from there, you are okay to be a disciple maker because you already have something that someone who doesn't know the Lord today doesn't have. Like none of us are disqualified. All of us will feel we don't know what we're doing because we're just one step ahead of someone we're taking with us. That's normal. I do a lot of what I'm doing feeling like I don't know what I'm doing and just using loaves and fishes and trusting God to do the rest. So don't, 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 don't feel like, you, like you're not qualified. He'll, he'll help you. But could we, is there anyone that comes to mind that's someone that you're mentoring and raising in their faith? A few years ago, we were at quite a smaller church. We even did the season, <laughs> the seasons we've done. There's the season where we even had these charts, and it was physically be a disciple, so we should be following someone. So that's another point. Who in your mind is someone that you coffee with or chat to who's pouring into your life and bringing you stronger in the faith? If there's no one discipling you and you're not discipling anyone, something's wrong. And, and it's the Lord's plan that that's how the world would be changed is that we're being discipled and we're making disciples so we used to have this chart and I'm trying to even put words of this person sort of speaks into my life this is a same level friend that we're in doing life together accountability wise and these are the people I'm bringing with me we really tried to focus on that I'm wondering if we've just lost a little bit of that conversation of late who are we discipling something's wrong if we don't have a couple of people there are people in this church who need you 
we, either side of us, there's people who could do with a, a helping hand or a discussion about um, the spirit or speaking in tongues or how do you do quiet times? I don't seem to, I don't know what to do or worship or um, uh, how to how to walk with my husband, how to walk with my wife, my unbelieving kid. There's people here who you're perfect for, but I wonder if we need to get out of busyness, get out of, and put some of these things that are core in the Bible back into the core of our life. Okay, so I just wanted to touch on that. Hebrews 10.25 says, let us not give up the habit of meeting together. I don't think they meant Sundays. Let us not give up the habit of meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Instead, let us encourage one another all the more. So even more than in when they did it in the Bible, when they practically lived together. All the more since you see that the day of the Lord is coming nearer. So as the day of the Lord comes nearer, we should be corporate even more and seeing each other even more. That's, that's what it's saying in the word. I'm wondering if we feel that's our reality. Is that okay? All right. So that was the first one. I'm going to move on to, so all of these could be sort of a sermon on their own. I'm just going to touch on things that a lot of you have heard many times before. If you're a note taker or on your phone or whatever, even if you just keep the, the, the words as your titles, that'll help. There's a little journey we're going on. So the first one, the first one's we're a family. The second one is focus on intentional connection. The third one is this word interdependency. Interdependency. It's when you're linked equally. So this hand is as strong as this hand and we're linked. It's not one stronger than the other. So interdependency. Sometimes I've used the example of the, is it the redwood trees in California? Have you seen pictures of them? Very, very tall, very, very high, and lots and lots of them in the forest. Huge, but they don't fall over when the winds and the storms come, which is weird because they're that high and that tall. Why not? Why don't they fall over? The root system. When you see underneath, if you take a side, I don't know, if you look underneath, the roots are so wide. I'm not talking about tap roots. They go sideways so wide that all of the trees are linked underneath. It's like um, holding hands underneath. And that's why they're not falling over. And to me, that's the picture of what the church should be. Not individually, we're digging ourselves so deep so we can stand with the Lord when the storms come. Yes, that's true. But I'm seeing a lot of direction to individually be able to stand because we're interconnected because we're interdependent, because we choose to take our needs to each other and choose to meet each other's needs and wrap our roots around each other and in that way look after each other when the storms come. Is that okay? So interdependency. It's important that we learn, but I'm not going to go into all of this teaching. It's a topic on its own. That I'm not talking about codependency. Codependency is when we're probably a bit parentally inverted. We are an over-responsible type of person, and we get a kick rather than we're called to help everybody out. And we, we, it's actually meeting our unmet need by being the strong one in lots of relationships. That's called codependency. If we're dependent on people, that's also not independency. Dependent is when we believe the lie that we are a victim, and our coping mechanism is to use people. And only if I'm using somebody and we approach all our relationships going, I'm powerless, I'm, I need you. We all have bad seasons. 
interdependency can have deep, horrific bad seasons and we just have to be weak. But I'm not talking about weak times. I'm talking about as a lifestyle, we do dependent relationships and we usually find codependent people. And dependent people are very clever at finding codependent people. Codependent people are looking out for dependent people. And we've got this, I'm, my, my role in life is to carry and the other one is my role in life is to be carried. So not dependency, not codependency and not independency. So if we're independent, it means we don't need people. We're uncomfortable about being known or we battle a bit with shame sometimes and we're not we don't want people to see that we have weakness or we have needs. Maybe we've been hurt. Maybe we've learned in life, I can't trust people. But all of that is brokenness and bondage. And maybe if we can tuck ourselves up into a church that endorses doing things corporately and taking your need to each other as well as to the Lord, then all of that fear of being seen and the shame and the lack of trust can be dealt with rather than governing how we live our lives. Is that all right? Okay, it takes risk. It takes risk, but it's really worth it. So those are some of the things that are in the foundation of, of this church that I'd love us to strengthen a little bit more. Or am I going too fast? Okay, so the next one, number four. I'm going to go backwards for just a moment. I'd like to pick on something about this interdependency that is really honest, um, but I've seen time and time again in the Word that there is this instruction from the Lord, especially in the Old Testament, for the church to be a people that looks after three people in particular. It says, look out for the widow, the orphan, and the stranger, the foreigner. It's all over the Old Testament, particularly Isaiah 1.17, Deuteronomy 26.12, care for orphans and widows in their distress, and the foreigner and the stranger. It's really important as a church that we can be a net and be family for people who have no family that have come from overseas. I was one of them. I've got all my biological family living here now, but I'm not being dramatic. It's the first time our family have lived in the same town in 25 years. It's, it's last month. And when I joined this church, even, you know, Rachel had only just moved here, but I was alone in this country biologically, and I did have a couple of good friends, but I knew what it was to be in a church where my need appeared higher than the others in the church who all had their biological families. And I think it's really important that we, I'm just helping people see who maybe feel they have relational needs met outside this church, that there are people in this community where you're it. You're it. Where it talks about the widow I think that's referring to single moms and single dads, not just because they've experienced death. The single parent has the same need as the widow. And I think it's talking about divorced people too, whether they've got children or not, because of the need is the same. It's covering all of that. It's men. You are a brother to women who are trying to parent. You in this church can speak into those kids' lives. It's women. You're a sister to, to men who... They're, they're here, single. It includes single people because we don't come with those familial needs met. That was me. That still is me. But I'm not battling like I used to. I really found my singleness hard because I was part of this church. And in the season that we were in, it wasn't a church that could meet needs much outside of a Sunday morning time. 
And for people who don't have a network outside this church and Sunday morning is the only time we see each other, that's actually quite traumatic. It was a very beautiful conversation just two weeks ago when a single woman in this church, a little bit older than me, said, how do you manage your singleness? And I was able to say to her, I don't sometimes. (laughs) I don't. But I showed her how I do. And it has a lot to do with interdependency. Last year in particular, I took to my life hub what it's like to be single on a Sunday morning, which I was able to encourage a girl last week who came and her husband wasn't able to come and it was hard. Like, it's hard when you don't have an option to come with somebody, to walk in a door with someone. Um, And that includes our socials as a church. The last few Australia days, which we've actually done together, have been hard for me. And I'm in the core team of the church because you arrive on your own, you barbecue for yourself, and you don't have someone that you can just attach to when you're done doing surface conversation because you're with your partner or with your kids and then you can launch back out when you've, you know, summoned up energy again. You have to do the whole night going, it's me and I, I need to find somebody to talk to. So I was able to share with her and she was like, yes, that is what I'm battling with. And she's core in this church. So I went, man, there's people, there's a lot of us in this church that don't come with biological family. And I thought, this is important. I'm just going to put myself out here because I want the church to be able to do what my life hub now do for me, where they've heard what my needs are. I can't carry furniture. I can't move things in my house because I don't have a second pair of hands. And I do gross man jobs. But I have help now because I was able to say to my life hub last year, and in particular my closest friends the years before, I got to take my need to them and say, I need you to know these are my needs. And so now, I remember the the Life Hub we had before Australia Day this year. No, it was at the end of last year. We had an event at Kylie and Brad's house, and I shared what my needs are. And everyone in the Life Hub has needs. I'm not saying mine are more. I was able to share what a single person or a widow or a divorced person might battle with socially at events, at Life Hubs. I go to an event on my own. And that was it. I've never gone to an event on my own since, unless it's here. I'm always asked by a few of them, can I pick you up? They barbecue for me. I don't have to be the only woman or one of the few single women who are trying to do it for themselves. And I find it so embarrassing amongst all the men who are feeding their families. So it's beautiful that we can take our need to our community. And I just don't battle with that anymore. And it's, you know, do you need help carrying this? Do you need help putting this light up? I get so much help because I've gone, this is my need. And I want to give permission to also people who are married and yet there's loneliness in that. Or people who have children but no grandparents for those children in this church. There's actually quite a few families in this church that don't have, there's children in this church that don't have grandparents, which means there's parents that don't have babysitting which means there's parents that can't have conversations here on a Sunday morning because there's no one else to watch their kids. There's actually a lot of need in this church. And I wanted to really talk about it so that we can be a people who opens our eyes and starts to look at what is going on. There's actually parents in this room that need a bit of help (laughs) and need an offer of babysitting so they can even just catch up as a couple. There's a lot of people with international families in our church. And I think it's good that we can help each other. But I also want to give permission to you that if your story is your partner's unsaved or your children have walked away from the Lord or you've lost them to death or you don't have biological family in this country, which is my story, or 
you're single or whatever the story is that you come with, you're a single parent, take your need to people. It's, it's not, not wholly helpful if you go, they're going to have to guess my need and the church isn't meeting my need. I had to vocalize my need to the point of vulnerability. It was embarrassing to say to my life hub, I find this hard, but I've never found it hard again. So if we can verbalize our need, including if we're battling with false refuges, addictions, which I'm going to get onto in a minute, we're going deeper. <laughs> if you're battling in any way, we won't know unless you verbalize it. But you have permission here to bring your need, not your expectation. They're two different things. If we load expectation on the church and then get offended because they're not meeting my need, which happens a lot to us, I'm not talking about that. I'm going to get onto that point soon too. I've got time. We, but if we bring gently our need and go, if you've got the grace, these are things I need, this church can get around you, and in particular your life hub. That's why it's dangerous if a life hub is only seeing each other once every two weeks because the amount of need in that group, if there's especially single people or parents without grandkids, you know, parents to help, and you're only seeing yourself once a fortnight, who's helping? Who's helping? Let's, let's learn each other's needs, and if we have the grace, let's meet them. Is that okay? Yeah. When you're in youth group or kids' games, did you ever play trust fall? You know where you stand on, the, on a wall or something and then you've got people behind you and you just go backwards and they catch you, hopefully. So that's, that's one thing about trust fall. There's another type where you stand in the middle of a circle and you close your eyes like this and you have to stay like a plank and you just lean and someone supposed to just catch you gently and then push you back. And then they push you back and you go all the way backwards and that person pushes you and you can go sideways. And, and it's really good, in, I think, at a camp or something. It builds uh, trust in the individual in the middle. This is what I'm talking about. If you have any need, it's your responsibility to go close eyes. And But if you've got only one person in your center, if you've got none, then you really need to do something different. But if you've only got one, it's too much. It's too much if Brad and Lisa are my only friends. No, no, nothing personal about that. But it's too much if Rachel had to fill all my need because she's, she's got a family I don't. It's not a realistic. We need to move to a point where we who have need have a good five or six people around us. Does this make sense? And then we move to wherever has the grace. So Kylie and Brad Holt, they're very good friends of mine. They're usually the ones who will take me now to a gathering. I sat with them as a couple and I shared my needs. So they're like here. But if I lean towards them, so they're not here today. She's had surgery this week. They're not there. Don't lean in that direction. <laughs> well, you'll get offended with them. But if I don't have the, these other people around me, then I've, I'm going to battle. So I just lean towards Brad and Lisa. And if I can tell they're not in a position or, you know, stuff's going on, then I just go, that's fine. I'm not putting expectation on them. So then I lean towards Rachel and Luke. You know, Brad and Kylie, my beautiful single friend, Chelsea, and I've just got a core. Now my, my family's moved here biologically. I've just got this close core. If we can focus on having a core each rather than a, just one or two each or none, then it means that there's always someone. I remember last year I had need, and it was human need. I, I, you can have a quiet time whenever we have any need, but I had a need for human, and no one in my circle was available. No one. And it's actually unusual now for me to have need and not have it be able to be met. But there was just no one free. But I was like, isn't it weird that it's odd 
for me to not be supported now where that's my main trauma is that I went through such lack. But now I was like, this is so weird and what a great celebration. So then I had a quiet time. I was like, Jesus, you're it. You're it. And he met me. He really met me. But let's really try and build a few people around us, which takes risk, vulnerability, and getting really involved in our life hubs. Is that all right? Okay. Thanks for letting me add that little story. We're going to move on to a lovely topic called confrontation. (laughs) It's my favorite topic. (laughs) A family does confrontation. How they do confrontation has a lot to do with the health of the family. Whether there's collateral damage or not depends on how confrontation is done. For some of us, biologically, it was never done. We never got it, we saw it modelled or it was not allowed or there was one bombastic family and who, person in the family who used a lot of anger or fear and we realised I can't have a voice, I can't say no. We all have different stories. I'm not saying any of them are mine. We all have different stories as to why confrontation can be like a word that we fear or why we don't do it well now, even in our adult lives. We need to do it if we're going to be part of this church family. It needs to become a core. But it doesn't have to start with confrontation. So I'm going to go back into the word and what it says to do if we have a problem with each other. But I'd just like to take the fear off the word confrontation. The fear is usually linked to our past and to authority figures in our past, not the reality. Reality, it is one of the most beautiful things to do. The Bible says, do it and do it right and you gain a brother. You gain a brother. That's the fruit of doing it well. So let me show you how to do it well. Number one, deal with the problem instead of avoiding it and getting bitter and angry and telling the world about it instead of dealing with that person, (laughs) which is the normal way sometimes. So if we have a confrontation to do, so for example, so both Brad and Lisa and I (laughs) have had these and we do them very well. That's why I've gained a brother and a sister. So if I, so if my pastor, if Brad, my boss, if I had something that I felt he was doing that was hurting me, injuring me, assuming he's ignorant of it is a great way to start. <laughs> he didn't mean it. But don't go, okay, I need to go and confront the person. Start with, I need to go and just have a conversation. Conversation is all that's needed. Confrontation is later when, it, when the conversations aren't getting anywhere. So I just give a conversation and I give feedback hey, Brad, you probably aren't aware of this. When you did this, I felt like that. Rather than you're a this and you're a that and you're a this. Okay, so when you did this, it made me feel like this. You probably didn't mean it. What can we do? Can we problem solve together? This isn't working. That should happen very quickly, very, very quickly. If it's left a week, two weeks, disconnect starts to happen. We need to protect cracks in the church. I'm really needing everyone in this room (laughs) and beyond to take this on because we are an entire group of imperfect people. Not one person in this room has the ability to do everything perfectly, which means there's a high chance we're going to injure each other without knowing or annoy each other or let each other down, and we didn't know. So if we can just get used to feeling safe with someone giving us feedback rather than like, I can't believe that you'd be saying something like that to me. It's, but I wasn't saying it because I'm fighting for us. I'm not fighting you. The difference is I'm fighting for us so to maintain connection. You know, the scripture talks about don't let the foxes into the vines. They'll ruin, take out all the little foxes. Um, 
division and um, coming in, not, not dealing with um, offense with each other is little foxes. It'll destroy what we have here. And the most, the most common types of hangouts we do is in our life hub, on here, but that's gonna cha- on Sundays, but that's going to change, coffees, seeing each other, shopping together. Things will ha- happen, come up. In particular, the closer we get, which is the goal, the closer, the closer, the closer, which is the goal, connection, we start to see sin in each other's lives. So it's not even that I want to talk to Brad about something he's doing to me. I'm like, oh, you've got a false refuge. Watching TV for 12 hours a day is injuring your family and you don't know about it. This is not true. I'm just <laughs> but it's normal that the closer we get to people, the more we start to see junk in each other's lives. And that's a gift. The scripture says... You who are righteous, go after those who are in sin and save them from the cliff edge. It's a right because we're family and we're connected in to go, hey, ah, there's this. Even if it's not bothering me, there's this. And it should be safe enough. If we can normalize that we're going to get feedback if we're in this church, it should take the fear and the insecurity and the sensitivity off. If you can just go, I expect it's going to happen and it's my saving grace if it does. Because our hearts deceive us, don't they? We don't know all of our stuff. So I think it's a gift that I have people close enough that give me feedback to what I'm doing that's impacting others. You want to know if your deodorant's not working. (laughs) If you've got, you know, your toothpaste on your face, it's a gift if someone points it out, isn't it? Imagine if we were just a church who's like, I'm not going to tell them there's toothpaste on their face because I don't want to hurt their feelings. And we're standing there with toothpaste on ours too. Let's be a church who's like, covering each other by pointing out stuff, you know? So the scripture says in Matthew 18, 15 to 17, so this we've gone, we want to do it the way the scripture says. So please take note if you're not good at confrontation. Matthew 18, 15 to 17. It says, if your brother sins, it doesn't even say if your brother sins against you. So that's also if your brother is in sin. If your brother sins, Go and show him. Show suggests ignorancy on the other person's part. Like, just don't judge. It doesn't say if your brother sins, go and judge him. So there's another little tip. And it doesn't say if your brother sins, go and tell everybody else. (laughs) If your brother sins, go and tell your best friend about it so you feel better and can forgive them. It doesn't even say that. It says, if your brother sins, go and show that person his fault in private. How much we blab about it before we go speak to them actually has a lot to do with our sin rather than that person's sin. So if your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens and pays attention to you, you have won back your brother. You've gained a brother. That's the biblical way is just shut your mouth, pray for them, forgive them, go to them, hang out and go, oh, we got to talk, there's something here. If he does not listen to you in that meeting, then take along with you, not then go and blab to, go and take with you one or two others so that every word may be confirmed by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he pays no attention to them, now a group refusing to listen and obey, tell it to the church And we all try and help that person. And if they still refuse to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile or an unbeliever. How do we treat unbelievers? With love. There's still no outcome of doom and gloom and shut off and 
it's with love, but don't give them the same access to your heart, possibly. And that's when some boundaries can sort of come in because you're not in here, you're not safe for us anymore. But this is the way we are to go. Can we, can we try, even though it brings up fear of confrontation, it brings up all sorts of things. You know, in the Elijah House teaching on forgiveness, it says something sh- that little tests that show whether we've forgiven or not is do we play over that offense over and over in our mind that that person's done to us? Or things I'd like to say to them, oh, and I should have said this, and I should have said this. If we do that, there's not been fullness of forgiveness. And if we have to say to anybody else, and tell people about how they hurt us, that means we've not forgiven. A a marker of forgiving is that we don't have to speak about it. And the forgiveness is on our end. If there's anything in our life hubs we don't like, the structure of it, the people in it, please talk to the life hub leader or me. Anything in this church on a Sunday, anything in the worship, if it's going to be a barrier, please tell us. We love feedback. I've had a lot of feedback about me. And it makes me better. <laughs> and I don't mind it. And I, I really don't like it if I've hurt someone and I repent. I really don't like it if I hear sideways that I hurt someone I never knew about it. And now there's been sideways chat and sideways chat. I've had to give gentle feedback to people in this church too. In particular, I've had to go, oh, I feel like you gather people who are discontent here. And you become like a martyr. And they said, oh, I just, I just let them speak to me about their problems with leadership because then they're just free of it and they're better and they can keep serving here. And it's like, okay. And they still have disconnect with us. They've just been able to forgive us, but they don't know that our heart wasn't like that or they don't understand what's in the process that makes it now like that. Do you see what I mean? If we talk sideways and we do, yeah, we do that. I tell my friend only because then I've forgiven them so I can deal with that person again. That doesn't mean you now trust that person or that the issue solved. It just means you feel relieved of the frustration. We've got to go to that person and come into an understanding of why they are the way they are or why that, that false refuge is still in play. But if we don't have a love for that person when we see the sin, maybe don't go talk to them about it and maybe go deal with that. Is this okay? Can we really be careful? This is going to wipe our church out. This is where cracks come. This is where dissension. This is where, you know the word church split? Mm-hmm. This possibly wasn't in the culture. Let's have conversations before confrontations, but let's just be bold and say, when you did this, I felt this. Can we, can we talk about it? So this has also to do with, so we've got um, different married people in this church who have been so beautiful and led us into parts that are tricky in the relationship, but this also comes into play with that. If we've got the man in the, in the, in the, in the marriage battling and he comes and speaks to us, Whose side do we hear? One or both? One. And then we go check with the woman. Whose side do we hear? One or both? One. The scripture says, go and bring two or three in to see you if you're battling. So if a man or woman in your marriage, if you're battling, the answer isn't to go, one of you go speak to someone. The answer is you bring someone from the church in to speak with you both. Because it says, if you're talking, if your brother or partner or sister, or, you know, wife, if there's an agreement, and they don't, the other person's not listening, bring two, one or two more into that, and then when we go and we sit with a married couple, life happens, because we're able to show each other what each other's saying, and we're able to then confront the person that is sinning, where it's really just mine against yours when there's two people. Can we try that approach, rather than 
one going to get help over here, it's still your truth against my truth. Rather, bring someone in. Let's sit with you. We've sat with various marriages, and it's so much better. And in one conversation, we can just confront the things that aren't working, move forward, rather than I'm talking sideways, I'm talking sideways. Was that an okay thing to throw that in as a side? Okay, so let's move on to... Please, you always add the best things. Did you from down there? So this is Pastor Brad just putting something in. Um, on the, yeah. Uh, when it comes to the thing of, so we can take on personally, okay, yes, I'll go and confront people, but you also need to be the one that pulls other people up that aren't confronting. So when someone comes to you and says, oh, so-and-so, I just had an issue with this person, your first response should be, even stop the mid-sentence, say, have you spoken to this person? And if their answer is no, then say, I don't want to talk to you about it until you've spoken to them. So when are you going to talk to them? Okay, I'll talk to them on Friday. Okay, well then, let me know how it goes, but... Don't talk to anyone else. Go straight to that person because you actually need to encourage that. Otherwise, you actually, even though, well, they're talking to me, you're partnering with demonic intent to destroy relationship is essentially what you're doing and you're allowing offense or bitterness to come in. You're partnering with division, which is dangerous. Okay. So that's, he's just, Pastor Brad's reminding us that it's our end, that if someone doesn't know this culture and is talking to us about someone else in this church or outside this church, let's when they've spoken, or, or interrupt them, even though it's not the, 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 the most amazing way, and go, okay, what are you going to do about it? Not chat it out and, oh, yeah, they are like that. What are you going to do? The Bible says you've got to talk to them. Did you want me to come with you, or are you okay? Can we help each other to go back to the problem and fix it, rather than I'll be your mouthpiece, I'll go speak to them and, and make sure that they apologize to you. Don't, don't take responsibility off someone else for having their own relationship thing fixed. We're taking responsibility off people if we're like, oh, that's terrible. I'll go speak to Amy. Amy will come in and speak to Brad. Brad will phone them and discipline them. Instead, go, you have the problem with Amy. Go and speak to Amy. Is that all right? Cool. So next, I'd like to move on to transparency. Transparency. So when I say the word transparency, it suggests that something is see-through. Like a like a, gl a glass window. Um, another thing that's taken time, and it's it's not something we're perfect at. It's not something. All these things we're not saying we're perfect at. We're saying we we feel they're important biblically, and can we try as much as possible? Um, so transparency is another thing that in the scripture is really important for the body of Christ to have. That word in itself can be feel unsafe for people who who have learned in life, unfortunately, that people are unsafe that sharing my heart is unsafe, that uh, so maybe people have been treated with shame in churches if they've said I'm battling with this or this is a, a, an addiction I have. If you've ever encountered shame or rejection or wounding when you've been truly you, it's going to be a bit of a, um, it's going to be tricky to try and become someone transparent here when, you're, when a coping mechanism has been you've learned that it's not safe to. But we feel rather that we're called to be transparent, that it's actually a covering and a protection um, for the church even to be all transparent. And instead, can we, can, we, can we bring up here why it's unsafe and bring up that lack of trust and, and the shame that we've been under and get that dealt with? Because there's no shame here. We are not a shame-based church. We might get it wrong sometimes. You might feel shame. It's not our heart. We don't use shame to get people to walk in the straight and narrow. That's not kingdom. That's manipulation and control. So we're not shame-based here, but 
The scripture says in 1 John 1, 7, if we walk in the light, so in transparency, as he is in the light, so we need to be mimicking him, because he does this as well, and we have fellowship one with another, not just on Sundays, then, so if we walk in the light, which means if we confess our sins to another, not just saying, sorry, Jesus, in our heart. If we walk in the light with one another, then the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from the sin. So the process of purification comes through living transparently. It doesn't come through just repenting on our own with Jesus because we're afraid the church won't love us if they see what we did. If we walk in the light, then he'll come and cleanse us. Same with James 5.16. Confess your sins to each other, not just to Jesus. And then pray for each other, not judge each other. So confess your sins to each other, pray for each other, so that, so this is the key, so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous and a person is powerful and effective. Confess our sins one to another, and that's the key to being set free from that thing. So it's like the Lord's put the key over here where it's so vulnerable. Jesus, can you put the key over here where I just have to repent to you all the time? Yeah, and he'll forgive us, but it doesn't mean we get purified and cleansed and we get healed. We just get forgiven. But he said, no, the key is over here. Stick it where you have to repent in the light. And then when you get all this love from that person and they say, your sins are forgiven, you know, and then they're like, okay, we're with you. Okay, what are we going to do to get this addiction out? That's where the healing happens is when we do it corporately, not in our quiet times. Isn't that amazing? It's like he's put the key in the place that's the most scary place, but that's where the freedom is. He keeps drawing us back to vulnerability, connection, oneness, unity, family. Do you see the pattern? So whether it's confrontation, whether it's sin in our lives, he's saying together, stay together, stay together. Last week, we just touched on this briefly, but if there's private sins in play, if they come out at some future time, when this church more and more, in his timing, if he desires it, becomes a light on the hill, we'll be taken out. It's deception to believe that my private sin doesn't impact my family. I'm going to say that again. It's deception to think that my private sin, even overeating, sexual sin, over shopping, lying, coping mechanisms we have in play, it's deception to believe it doesn't affect us corporately. Because we're actually opening up demonic entities, which is what addictions open up doorways to corporately. And we're keeping cracks in the foundations. And how many of you know that cracks don't show unless there's pressure put on them? So if there's a hole in a tire, it's fine if the, if the bicycle's not being used. But if we've got a whole bunch of tires on a vehicle and the Lord's going, I'm releasing this church, off you go. Pressure gets put on it. Cracks show. Vehicle stops. Where there's cracks in our foundation, we need to go, okay, it's time for me to be transparent. It's time for me to tell someone in the church. And in particular, if he's put you in a position where you're going to be, you know, doing quite a public role ministry-wise or service-wise, even a past thing that's been dealt with. Tell us about it. Tell someone about it. Because when the accusation from the enemy comes, we go, no, that's been done and dusted. And when the, uh, Satan tells us, you're so dirty, you're so disgusting, you can't be used, we get to stand next to each other and go, no, you don't listen to him. I was there when you repented of that. That's done and dusted. You're free and forgiven. Let's go. The enemy is a terrible accuser when it comes to things in our past. But we're not defined by what, where we've been. We're defined by who he is and what he's done for us. There is nothing that cannot be cleansed by the blood. Nothing. 
And if we keep something in our life as shameful and not brought into the light, it's coming into agreement with the fact that his blood isn't enough. His blood is enough for everything. There is nothing that can't be washed by the blood. Positionally, we are completely saved, but we still have to walk out our salvation. So it's covered by the blood, but we now need to mention it, receive that blood and start walking out. Okay, that's not who I am. Have some doors shut, have some spiritual doors shut, have some heart healing and move forward together. There's nothing that can't be covered by the blood. It's really important if there's any areas of sexual sin here that we come out of agreement with shame, we get transparent and we get them sorted. Um, 2016 October-ish, maybe the month before, I had a dream um, in the night and two of the intercessors in our church came towards me in the dream and they said the church needs to repent of sexual sin. So we entered into prayer for about a month and then I did the three Sundays talking about sexual sin and, and we want it to be something we talk about often and easily. We also want to talk about all the greatness about our sexuality because it's not a shameful topic. It's the Lord's topic. It's actually his territory. It's not shameful to talk about our sexuality. But sexual sin equally needs to be talked about. So if you ever go onto the Facebook public page rather than our private group, but the public page for Paradox Church, if you want to watch those teachings, they were in so the 6th of November, the 20th of November, 2016, if you look up those dates, if you go backwards through all the videos, if you want to watch that or you've got someone who needs to hear it, it's called The Consecrated Journey. It was a three-Sunday uh, message where we just talked openly with each other, um, The Consecrated Journey. But we need to get our past covered, okay, as we move forward in the light. Just come make a coffee date with us. Let's get it sorted. Let's move forward. There's no shame and the blood covers everything. Choose to tell your story and then stay telling your story. Please, if we start battling with any false refuge, may it be something that you are saying, by the way, I'm battling with this and I'm getting help. Let's not have to do back to the confrontation topic where we have to go, here's your sin. Even more so, let's get responsible and let's bring ours forward and let's go and get help. Is that okay? Okay, so. The last few, I'm not going to go into as detail as much. There's also sermons on those. Um, I'm battling with dry mouth today. Could I have the three slides to get it up? Thank, thank you, Paul. Okay, so different topics we focus on often, which I'm just going to mention now and not go into detail with, are judging and pride. Both open huge doors, dysfunctionally, relationally, but also in the spirit. Leviathan spirit, the root of that is often pride, um, judging, we've learned in the scripture that has a, that a curse attached to that. You'll become like what you've judged, and there's things in play in biblical laws. But let's just make sure we are catching if we are prone to judging each other, okay? It's really, really, really needs to be rooted out of our community. We feel it has been, but let's, as we keep growing and have numbers added here, we just want you to know that our culture doesn't believe that that's appropriate. And also with pride. So if you weren't here last Sunday, please... Please listen to last Sunday's teaching, thank you, Kerry, where the second half of it went into a lot of detail about what comes under the category of pride. And I think a bunch of us would have gone, I don't battle with pride. But it's, did any of you find, but once we opened up each of the topics that are under pride, it was like, oh my gosh. I've had a few people contact this week and go, I didn't know, I didn't know. Um, so, so much pride. So let's just please listen to that teaching. Um, 
from last week, Jennifer Evers taught us some of those concepts. I might put it afresh on Facebook for this week. The next one is our language. We here uh, are try and focus on the language we use. Obviously, that's not the root because out of the mouth, the heart speaks. So it's not about the language, it's about the heart. But we really try and watch each other in a good way and encourage each other to use language that's not controlling. So if we put posts on Facebook, especially if it's from sort of people who are running things, we, we focus really hard on using language that gives people the, the, the decision, the, the, the power to make choices. It's not, hey guys, you should, you must, uh, make sure. Um, that's That can be controlling, um, even if the heart didn't mean to. But it's really important if you're in a position where you feel like you're overseeing a people, that we use options in our language. Would you be open to, is a great sentence. I was wondering whether you could. And if we could be really checking our hearts, hey, if we're trying to get, you, you need someone to help you on coffee, you need someone to help you clean something. If we can just watch our language, that we aren't coming into agreement with control, dominance, manipulation. It's always, you know, on the, what does Danny Silk say? On our best day, I can only control myself. Never mind thinking I can control somebody else. We don't get people righteous here through control or through shame. Righteousness, the Holy Spirit is the only person who can convict the heart. All we do is give the feedback and hope the Holy Spirit <laughs> lands at the same time. <laughs> so, but, but if we can really we just watch our language. I just want some of this, you're like, why are you telling me this? But I want you to know what's in the system, that when I've got helpers here during the week, Emma, different people, we give feedback about posts and we give feedback about how stuff's coming out. It's like, I, do you feel people will feel they have freedom of choice if you say it that way? Oh, yeah, maybe not. It's really important that we hear in the, dem in the dem demolition days we're having, in the, um, these, the conference coming up, it's not an expectation that everyone's serving and make sure you're this and should and must. It's if you have the grace, we would really love it. We actually even need it. But you actually have a free decision and it comes with no judgment if it's a no. We have to just keep using freedom when we're directing and asking each other to help. Is that okay? All right. So last few that I also won't go into detail on. Okay, so... Number eight, in our culture, we try not to judge emotions. Christians, unfortunately, have sometimes gotten into this trap. Emotions are God-given, and we judge emotions sometimes, and we want to stop doing that. In particular, judging negative emotions. Even that term, I don't like. Negative emotions being if someone battles with fear, if someone battles with anger, and if someone battles with sadness, if we have anger, sadness, these emotions are not to be judged. They're God-given emotions that he has and operates in and feels. There's no shame on sadness and anger. We've given anger a bad rap, but all it is is an emotion. What's an emotion? It's a neutral. It doesn't have, it's not good or bad. It's neutral. It's a signpost that something's wrong. That's all it is. So don't feel embarrassed if there's anger or don't try and squash it. What we do when we have negative emotions and we've judged negative emotions is we deny them. And for a long time, I think the church has denied them. Don't have sadness. Don't have grief, especially despair, especially anger. Don't be angry. Don't be angry. Don't be angry. That's denial. The scripture says, in your anger, don't sin. It doesn't say cap it and shove it down. Sickness 
different things happen. I was reading a, a science thing this last week, a, a bit more on fibromyalgia, and just different things that we're just talking about. That's the, f the fruit is unprocessed negative emotions. Like a, a healed heart has a voice. A healed heart has a voice. Negative or positive emotions need to be voiced and processed, mostly with Jesus. But if we take our anger to Jesus and our pain to Jesus, then we can process it and get free of it. But to cap it is to deny it. So I just wanted you to know in this community, we don't judge negative emotions. I'd like to touch on grief. Grief takes as long as it takes. And that's all I'm going to say about grief. People can get stuck in grief. We don't want that to happen. And we help people who've gotten stuck in grief. But we don't judge grief. It's not unchristian to have grief. Grief takes as long as it takes. If we feel frustrated, you should be over this. It was last year when you had that loss. Grief takes as long as it takes. And if we can just have that in our culture, that grief's okay and grief takes as long as it takes, as long as they're not stuck in the process of grief and just come around people in that. Is that okay? So that's just a quickie. And also uh, depression. Depression can be chemical, but it's usually the fruit of trapped negative emotions. Long practice times of capping emotions, capping negative emotions, unexpressed pain that's been built up over a long period of time. Depression is not a shame word around here. Um, yeah, it's my second last point. So when it comes to how we do things outside of a Sunday, um, I think I'm just going to let you in on what, we, what structure we have in place in this church when it comes to people whose mental health have gone from just depression to like suicidal ideation which we can get to when things are that traumatic. So it's suicidal ideation, which means fantasizing about being, being gone, being death. So I'm just going to, can I put up the image? Thank you so much. This is what we walked our um, life hub, I mean our heart life team through last year, and we had some study on suicide. I just want you to know that um, I'm wondering if a lot of the time, so it says community services at the top, medical, prayer, pastoral care, lodgings. So if someone gets to the point where we believe in our life hub or they've told someone, I don't want to live anymore, we, we, give th we assign them a star if they're in a chronic state of suicidal ideation. And we put in place a coach. Um, at the moment, it's often me. And I'm wanting to say that so that it w helps with expectation that I should be doing the daily pastoral care with that person. I can't. I can't stretch myself that far. I'm not journeying daily with anyone who's in that stage, and I never can, because I'm overseeing all of this structure. What I do do is I become coach often, even if temporarily, and then what we put in place is to make sure those five things are around that person. And I think where the church has gotten wrong is the church went, we have to be the rescuers and be all the pastoral care, and it's, it, we, it's, not, it's not realistic. Pastoral care only belongs in one corner of the star. So what we do is as soon as, so I get in touch with that person and we catch up, we, ma we make sure community services are used. We are not a community services, a church is not a community service. We don't have training in this. We are not counselors. We might have some counselors, but we're not. And we need to take, like we can't just be Jesus to everyone. I know we should, and you know what I mean? Like we actually can use community services as in it's not being unchristian. We actually need to get counselors involved, um, Clint Sykes involved, and support people who've trained in all of these things, okay? So we have this in place, I'm working closely with someone who's got a counseling practice 
in this city, this town, who has other ones around the city located nearer other people, and he's teaching me about all of the things Australia has, you know, parenting help, all these different things we can access for someone who's in a severe case. The church isn't enough. We can only be what family can be, because that's all we are. That's all we can be, it's family, but we can direct. So we get community services involved, and it's really that person needs to start seeing a home psych or a counsellor or something, and we'll get help from professionals. We need medical, so that person needs to see a doctor. It's really important that we link them to a doctor we feel is safe and to just check in case even medical help is needed, which we believe is okay in this church. Sometimes the serotonin is that low that it's, it's unwise to just go, just trust more in Jesus. Your serotonin's low. The adrenal glands, are, are, they've packed out. The trauma's been too long. We need those tablets to protect. What the tablet does is it stops the excretion of the serotonin so you can start catching it like in a lake, a, a, um, a dam, so we can start having serotonin levels again, which is happiness. So medically, sometimes we need to have that, that in place to even get back to dealing with what the issues even are. And we don't have shame in that area, and I just want you to know that's part of our culture. But the medical side needs to be strongly in place and cons constantly having that checked, that there's, you know, have your adrenal levels checked, have your serotonin checked, have, is it low iron? There's things that can be leading to low mood that are actually a naturopath or, uh, you know, not a new age one, but a health person. It's actually nutrition sometimes, and it can lead to depression. We need the medical side looked at. And then on the other side, you'll see there's prayer. So what we do is we assign someone, uh, an intercessor to that person that I can text if I'm like, they're not going well, or that that person can text. Not to say I need to talk, just to go pray, pray, pray. And we've got intercessors who have said, yes, they'll journey with someone. So we have that in place. Down the bottom, it's really important that there's a few people that have got the grace to journey with that person, not one. Like four or five, because it's too much. It's too much for one person. So have a rotation people to have the grace. And often those people are journeying with other people too. Like it really is too much. You've got to be able to, again, like the trustful thing, we have a few people and that's all we can provide. If it's not enough, we possibly need to encourage that person to book themselves in for some 24-hour care because we can't provide that here because we're not, we're not Esther House. We're not those things. We can't, but we help them get connected if they need 24-hour care. Pastoral care is not 24-hour care. It's just pastoral care. All we have is what a family can do. Anything beyond that, we, we can't do it. Sorry, we really can't. And then we check on the lodgings. Is that person safe where they're living? If they're living alone, are they safe to be living there? Or is it wise that they just spend weekends living with someone else or that they actually move into shared housing for a season? We just check what is your lifestyle like. If it's working against you getting better, we need to make some changes. But if someone moves, if, if I um, go... So, no, I won't use me. If Bethia says, I'll be the lodgings person, they can come stay with me a weekend, it's, it's actually wise that Bethia is not the pastoral care person too. If she's got the person staying in the house and she's listening 24-7, that's too much. Like, you're going to get wiped out. So that's why we have quite a few people supporting people who get to this position, and they usually come through. They come through. But I just wanted you to know that we have the structure in place because we can only be family and outside resources are needed and we don't shame depression, and it's a real thing. Is that okay? So now you know. All right, so that was put in place last year, and it seems to be working.
skip that one. I'm just going to do my last one. This last one, I said that was the last one about life outside of a Sunday morning. This one has to do with life on a Sunday morning. So I just wanted to explain one last thing in our culture. There's more, but you've graciously listened for a long time. And we're doing all these things. This isn't a smack on the hand sermon. This is a we, we're doing it. But what are we going to do when the numbers grow? So please help me do it stronger <laughs> and help teach each to each other. So um, there's two types of people that sometimes can be tempted to feel wounded when they join this church. And I just wanted to... Um, explain something that might help with that confusion. Um, some people come to this church and they're habitual servers. They come in and they go, what am I going to do? So they arrive here to do because they believe Christians do in a church. That's what it's for. And we're like, nothing. You don't have to be on a roster. Come rest. Come be known. Come be familyed because that's the goal. And they get a bit tetchy, but I've got to do. And it actually brings up this lack of rest and this I've got to serve and I've got to do everything. And we go, it's actually fine. There's no expectation. Just come and be familyed. Come and be known. Have your sin known. Be transparent. Receive confrontation. Give confrontation. Be familyed. And it's very tricky. But I just wanted to explain that we're not service-based here. There's a place for anyone who wants to serve. There's still places on if you want to do catering, if you want to do coffee, info table, paradox kids, we've got plenty of room. There's no no from us, but there's no expectation. You're allowed to join this church and just receive. But just like children in a family, when you're the young children, you can just receive. But the older you get, you start helping with the dishes and putting things away. And so it'd be really great if we all did help, but there's no expectation. And people can feel lost here because they're like, I don't know what to do. But let that be a season where the performance orientation and the doing comes to death and where you start becoming a human being, not a human doing. Is that all right? The other side of people that can feel lost when they come to this church is they have a lot of amazing spiritual gifts. So not the administrational acts of service gifts that I was talking about before, but these ones lean more to the prophetic. They lean more to, you know, you know words of knowledge and um, worship, uh, discernment, those are more the spiritual gifts, and they come in, and they also like, I'm, I'm, this is who I am, and we're like, oh, then we need to say no to you using that here. I'm going to rewind so you get where, why I said that. They go, this is who I am, and we go, okay, no, just, we're not going to have you in the worship team, we're not just going to, let's just, let's become family first. And sometimes it's because those people, beautiful spiritual gifts that are stronger than mine sometimes, often. Rachel says heaps, you know, oh, those people are far more prophetic than I am. That's not the point. The point is if our identity is attached to our spiritual gift, there's a problem. And a lot of us come to a place and we're like, we're supposed to do and be served in our spiritual gift. And we say, no, be family. Because if, our, if we think we're only significant and seen and amazing when we're operating in our spiritual gift, then we're enabling dysfunction. And we're actually, it's spiritual abuse if we use people to get our agenda done. And so if we can sense that someone feels they're only someone when they're operating in their gift, that's the same as saying you're only someone if you're serving. And, and that's abuse for us to enable that. So often, just understand that's why we pause and we go, because we love you and we're accountable towards the Lord, we need that I'm only seen when I'm releasing my spiritual gift thing to come out. And we need the I'm, I'm important because I'm seen, I belong, I'm wanted, I'm familyed. If people have that as your foundation, do anything you like here. If you've got 
complete transparency, your past cleaned up, and you just know that you're loved, seen, and you're tucked in, and you're corporate, you can pretty much take over the church. That's what we find is core. That's what's core, not your gift. It doesn't define you. It's, it's got to get disconnected from your identity and your lovability. You're just loved because you're you, and that's enough. That's all we want, is we just want to love you and know you and be one, not use and use. Let's just get that separated from our identities. So those are some of the main things we, we believe is in slowly being built into our culture. I would, I would, I'm asking you to help me. That, I guess that's the focus of today. I'm asking you because I, I can't build the family. Uh, we build the family. And so I'm inviting you into going, me too, and to getting closer and to tucking in and to going, okay, let's get transparent. Let's do the heart journey. Let's tell people my needs. Let's see people outside of Life Hub and Sunday morning times. <laughs> That's the main goal. Um, and let's just be family. Let's be one. Let's be corporate. Because where there is unity, the Lord commands us blessing. Not where there is strong spiritual gifts and people are unknown and in sin, the Lord commands a blessing. See how it works? Can I pray? This might feel a bit weird and a bit intense. Can we just stand and hold hands? It's kind of symbolic, don't you think? <laughs> You're like, I'm sweaty. I've been listening to you and fretting over every sentence. Now I've got to touch. Welcome to transparency. <laughs> it feels like sweat on sweat. <laughs> it's not easy, but it bears amazing fruit. I guess, Lord, I'm saying we can't do this without your grace. It's even by your grace that we can even say hallelujah in the morning. Jesus, we, well, I guess I can't say this on your behalf, but I'm praying and hoping you're in agreement with me. Lord, we ask you to help us to be corporate. Yeah, if there's anyone who just feels to repent privately towards the Lord and then tell someone else about it later. <laughs> we repent for ways that we're not corporate and where we fear corporate, where we fear being seen, where we fear being known, where we fear judgment, or if there's confession of sin. And if you feel there's busyness or independency, just bring that before the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Lord, protect this church from shame. We will not come into agreement with it. And protect us from division and offense and being hurt by each other and, and, and shying away from particular people because we battle with them. Lord, keep us corporate. I ask by your grace, Lord, that you would just sow us to each other, that you would help us choose to covenant in, not in a cultish way, but the Bible talks about that covenanting together as one, as a church, that we're to go, this is it, in the sickness and in health, <laughs> in good and in bad. Lord, help us to have the courage to covenant fully and to live transparent and to be interdependent. Help us to cost ourselves to connect with people when we're tired. Help us to cost ourselves to meet a new person when we're nervous because it matters to you. Help us in particular to look after the stranger, the foreigner, to look after the widow, for the widower, the divorced, the single, and to look after the orphan, someone who doesn't have spiritual or biological parents. Help us look out especially for those three categories that you've got on your heart, Lord. And I pray a protection over this church in this area, Lord. Help us protect your kingdom culture here. 
that it may bear good fruit, that people would see unity and that there the Lord has commanded a blessing. Protect what we've got, Jesus, and give us wisdom on how to steward our relationships and our corporateness. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. That was a long listen. Thank you. Did you have anything you wanted to say in closing? Did you want to? Yeah. Yeah. There's not a lot of time. Um, if you have a child out at Paradox Kids, would you mind just going and fetching them? Thank you for really trusting them with us for a while. Um, we don't have a lot of our prayer team here this morning. It's a long weekend. But if you do feel you need prayer, and especially if you're a visitor, do come forward. We can pray with you. Other than that, we don't have a lot of our prayer team. It's long, So just turn to one another. Get some prayer from someone near you. We're all the body and can minister sideways. The Lord